You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. The Bible says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. And we are in this sermon series talking about seeing into the unseen world, seeing the things that our natural eyes really are not accustomed to seeing. If you have uh, your, your digital device, you can turn to the live event on the Riverside app. If you've not downloaded the RCC app, please do that. If you, uh, you can follow along, information uh, is there about uh, what's coming up in the church and encourage you always, uh, if you have a, uh, a digital device, to do that. Uh, it's a free app, um, but you're welcome to give on the app too if you want. So uh, just a little aside there. Uh, so we're talking about the unseen world and uh, seeing into the unseen. Now, I remember when I first got glasses. How many of you remember that, right? Uh, I was 16 years old, just turning 16. Um, awkward, you know, insecure. Everybody is, is, is wanting to be cool when you're in that age. And i just gotten braces off, and I was about to get my, gla- my, 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 I'm sorry, my license, and I uh, was so excited about it. In fact, back when, when we were at that age, we were able to get our permit before we were 16 years of age. Do you remember that? Now, I had a brother and a sister who were older, so I had a lot of experience driving before I turned 16, and so on my 16th birthday, I went to take my driver's test that day. Um, but before I could do that, I had to do the exams, and you had to do a written exam, right? You had to answer the questions about the laws and all of that, but you had to take an eye exam. And for the first time in my life, I failed miserably. I had cheated my way through junior high by squinting. And when you go to the nurse's office every year to, to do your eye exam, you know, I'd try to memorize the sign before the, the wall before I'd get up there. And, and I made it through because I did not want to wear glasses. Back then, it wasn't cool to wear glasses. Now it's cool to get glasses. People will get glasses without any lenses in them because they just think it's so cool to have glasses. Well, back then, you know, it just wasn't so cool. And I wasn't excited about getting glasses. So, but then whenever I took my driver's test, I put my eyes in the machine, they show you signs and things. I couldn't read a thing. I oh, stink. I got to get glasses. So, but here's the neat thing. When I got my glasses and I put them on for the first time, it is amazing what was there that I never saw before. It was incredible. I, I thought, wow, there's a whole world out there that I couldn't see. My point is, I want our eyes to be open today to things that maybe we never have seen before. I want us to be able to see through spiritual eyes ways in which we weren't able to see before that. The Bible says the God of this age has blinded the minds of people so that they cannot see the light of the gospel. And so today, I believe God wants to open some eyes to remove the veil so that we can see the things that perhaps we've been blinded to. The scripture is in 2 Corinthians, and you're welcome to turn there. I'm going to ask Joanna to come and read the text for us today. 2 Corinthians, you can see the text there, chapter 3, beginning in verse 16. We're going to jump up to chapter 4, verse 4, and then verses 13 to 18. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. 
Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is just temporary, and what is unseen is eternal. Thank you, Joanne. Take that. And so as we ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us today, I want us to reflect on the glory of God. And when we do that, I believe it's going to help us to see things that we've never seen before. Would you bow your heads with me real quickly? Lord, I pray for all of us in this room as we take a look at this passage and the passages that, that it is speaking of. May our eyes be open to your glory anew today. Amen. Amen. So, seeing the unseen, and what I'm going to do today is is look back with hindsight. I want us to look inward with insight and I want us to look forward with foresight because that's what he's talking about here. And so in hindsight, what we need to do is contemplate the glory of what Christ has done, what God has done. And notice what it says here. Joanna read it earlier. Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord. And so what, what we're looking at here is this idea of when we turn to Jesus, our eyes are open. It's almost like when you put those glasses on for the first time, you see things that you weren't able to see before. And, and, and what that is, is this word glory. That's what it's talking about. Today we're talking about the unseen glory. Well, what is glory? Well, there's, there's, there's a couple words in the scriptures that speak of glory. There's the Hebrew word kabod that speaks of this glory. And then it's translated in the Greek version of the Old Testament and the New Testament, this word doxa. You've heard the word doxology? Right? A doxology is a glorification. It's, it's we're going to give glory to God. So, so it speaks of that. That's where it gets the word from, this Greek word doxa. And it refers, glory really speaks of this visible, active presence of God in our midst. And, and in the Hebrew scriptures, and even in the New Testament, oftentimes it's accompanied by a bright light or by fire and smoke. 
And when Paul here is writing to these Corinthian believers, they already have in their minds an understanding of what this glory is because it's, it's a part of their story. It's a part of their Hebrew scriptures. And it speaks about Moses on the mountain and the glory of God that came down when he received the law. Moses, if you recall, set the people, was, was chosen by God. In fact, the first instance of glory that we see in Moses' life was whenever the, uh, the burning bush was, was, was on fire and smoke, but it wasn't being consumed. And it doesn't use the word kabod there, but it speaks, that's the first evidence we see of this, this fire and smoke. But then if you follow the story of Moses, who was called to lead the people out of Egypt from bondage to freedom, and, and, and their story, their salvation history, it's all about their literal freedom from bondage to, to the promised land. For us who are spiritual believers and spiritual Israelites, it speaks to us of our bondage to our old life, to sin, to the things that hold us captive, and the freedom that we have in Christ. Not freedom to do as we please, but freedom to please God. Because before we are set free, we're in bondage to just our selfish pleasures. So God sets us free from that. Well, here in the story that he's talking about, it's Moses and the glory of God that led the people out of Egypt into the promised land and the glory of God that came upon him when he went up on the mountain. And the specific story that he's referring to is found in Exodus. And so if you have a Bible and you want to flip there, it's Exodus chapter 33. I'm going to invite you to follow along as I tell the story of what happens in this story. You remember Moses, they got to Mount Sinai in the wilderness. God calls Moses up in the mountain. And there on the mountain, Mount Sinai, the mountain of God, God reveals himself to Moses. And he gives him the Ten Commandments. And he talks about how to worship God rightfully in the tabernacle and how to build the tabernacle and all of that. Well, Moses up on the mountain by himself, hearing God in the smoke and on that Mount Sinai, nobody could come close to the mountain because the cloud, the Shekinah glory, the glory of God would come upon the mountain, lightning and thunder, fear and trepidation, the awesomeness and earthquakes of God on the mountain had people terrified of this God, terrified of this God. And Moses up on the mountain receives the Ten Commandments. He's up there for 40 days. And so the people down below, they kind of forget about, well, Moses, he's never coming back. We better worship God of our own. So they, you remember they made the golden calf and they had this big, big, uh, terrible celebration, a golden calf, and basically worshiping the gods of Egypt that they had known before when they were in bondage. Well, Moses comes down with the, ten, with the two tablets and the Ten Commandments, and he sees what's going on. The people who the God that set them free, they just turned their back on him. He throws the tablets down. They shatter into pieces. God judges the people. But God still forgives and wants them to make it into the promised land. <clears throat> but they need the law. They need the Ten Commandments again. So here it says that God asks Moses to lead the people, even though they're a stiff-necked people that, that have a hard time following God. We're not like that, are we? Um, well, let me just read it. I think it, it, says, it speaks for itself. Exodus chapter 33, verse 12 says, So Moses says to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people. But if you not, let me know whom you will send with me. You have said... I know you by name and you have found favor with me. So God, if you're pleased with me, teach me your ways 
so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that these, this nation is your people. It's like, they're not mine, God, they're yours. And no, I know I'm supposed to lead them, but God, I need you. And the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses said, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us up from here. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else would distinguish me from you, your people, and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you've asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. Show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name the Lord, Yahweh, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face and no one may see, because no one may see me and live. And then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back for no one can see my face and live. And the Lord then said to Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets, the Ten Commandments, which you broke. Be ready in the morning and then come up on Mount Sinai. And present me yourself to me there on the top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks and herds may graze in front of the mountain. Now again, get this idea of the holiness, the awesomeness, the fear and trembling uh, action of, of a person that comes into the presence of a living God. And what that feels and what you think about God with that image of God. And so Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones. He went up on the mountain early in the morning as the Lord commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. And the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord, or Yahweh, or Jehovah. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. And at once Moses bowed down and worshiped. And he said, Lord, if I found favor in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and make us your inheritance. And the Lord said, I'm making a covenant with you. I will do wonders. And he goes on and on and talks about the covenant that he made with them. And notice then, Moses up there for 40 days again. He comes down this time. The people aren't partying around the golden calf this time. When Moses comes down from the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant of the law in his hands, he wasn't aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. And when Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses and his face was radiant, they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him and he spoke to them. 
And afterward, all the Israelites came near him and he gave them all the commandments the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went back in to speak with the Lord. So when he talks, when Paul is writing to these people and he's talking about the veil and, ref- and seeing the glory of God, immediately their minds go to this story of Moses because that's what he is speaking about. But what Paul is doing is he's comparing that image of God with the God who comes to us revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. Notice it says in John chapter one, it says that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And then in verse 14, it says, and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us and we have seen his glory full of grace and truth. Do you see glory in all of this? The point The point is, Paul is saying, you know, our forefathers, our ancestors saw the glory of God reflected in Moses on the mountain. But that glory was shadowed in this idea that nobody could see God themselves. Nobody could experience this God because he was so frightening. He was so fearful. There was a God that promised compassion and hope, but a God that said that I will punish. And so they had this safe distance that they kept from God and this distance even from Moses because he reflected the glory of God to the people and, and they were afraid. So he had to cover his face with a veil. And so they had this image of a God who was good, but was so far out there and so big and so afraid that they couldn't come close to him. And then in the New Testament, we see that God, this God, all the word that was in the beginning with God and was God became one of us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the Father, full of grace and truth. I get chills when I think about that. And so what he is saying is, folks, we have a God that wants to come close. We have a God that comes near. We have a God that we can approach. We have a God that we don't have to see through a veil because we behold the God through unveiled faces. When we behold Jesus, we behold the glory of God. Hebrews 1.3 says, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Don't think that, because under the law, the people never were sure. Am I good enough for God? Have I, have I done enough? Have my good works outweighed my bad works? Is God going to forgive me? Isn't God going to forgive me? I don't know if I can get close to God because I might be smitten by a lightning bolt if I get close to God. This was the God that they were familiar with. But he's saying, when we behold Jesus, he says, come, Come, see me, feel me, touch me. Let me show you what God is like. And you can come close to me. So we behold him through unveiled faces. 
when everyone turns to the Lord, it says, the veil is taken away. The veil is taken away. In what ways were your eyes opened when you came to Christ? That's my question. Maybe you're here today and you've not even come to Christ yet. And I want to give you hope. I want you to know that when you invite Christ into your life, I believe that you see things that you never saw. You see others in ways that you never saw them. You see yourself in ways that you never saw yourself. And for me, when I was that 15, 16-year-old kid, when I came to Christ, for me... It was that idea before I grew up in, you know, going to church. My parents brought me to church when I was a kid, and, and I did it, and then I got bored with it, and I quit going like many people do, and we talked our parents out of dragging us to church because it was so dry and dead, but then a friend brought me to church, and I heard for the first time a different view of God. And maybe I just missed it when I was little, and I wasn't old enough to understand it. But what, 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 what for me, see, I had this idea that God graded on a curve, so I had to be better than half my friends. So I'd always find friends that were, you know, I know I'm not doing the dope like they're doing. I'm not doing the drunk drinking like they're doing. So God, you know, I think you're going to think a little more highly of me. And so God's grading on a curve. I think that I'll make it. And so, but then I was unsure because I knew there was stuff that other people didn't know. And I knew that I would think things. And I knew that I was just always trying to earn my way to find God's favor. And whenever I experienced Christ and came into my life for the first time, I was free of that. I was delivered of that. And for me, it was this idea that this God who knew me better than anybody else, the good, the bad, and the ugly, loved me more than anybody else. And that God who knew me best and loved me most welcomed me. And it allowed me to see myself and see others in ways that I never saw before. It was like the veil was taken away. And that's what he's talking about here. God isn't just waiting to punish me. God wants to make me whole. God wants to make you whole. God wants to have this personal relationship with God. And so in hindsight, we're talking about seeing the glory of God in hindsight. I want us to do a little exercise right now. I want to invite you to join me. It says when we contemplate the Lord's glory. So I want to do a little contemplative exercise, if you don't mind. The Bible says to meditate on the Lord. We're going to do a little meditation exercise, all right? And so what I want you to do is just close your eyes. Close your eyes. Just take a deep breath and let it out slowly. You can do that again. And I want you in your mind's eye to reflect on the past. Reflect on Christ. I want you to see Jesus. I want you to see Jesus. I want you to see him historic. I want you to see Jesus healing the sick. I want you to see Jesus forgiving the adulterer. I want you to see Jesus loving the outcast. I want you to see Jesus speaking out against the injustices of his day and the hypocrisy of religion. I want you to see that Jesus falsely accused and tried, and crucified, and died, and buried. And I want you to see Jesus now 
out of the tomb, radiant with the glory of God, appearing to his disciples and telling them to wait for the promise of the Father. And I want you to see his disciples receiving that Holy Spirit, their eyes being opened and their lives being transformed in the fire and the wind, the glory of God and the Holy Spirit poured out upon them. I want you to see the Apostle Paul going to to murder Christians on the road to Damascus and the glory of God and a bright light shining and knocking him off his high horse, literally and figuratively, and transforming his life. I want you to see the Jesus of history, but now I want you to see the Jesus in your life who comes to you and says, Behold, You see me, you see the Father. Come close to me. Let me forgive you. Let me cleanse you. Let me heal you. Let me set you free. Let me wash you and make you whole. Let me wash away all your sins in baptism. Help me to see, help you be resurrected to new life. Look back and see the ways that Jesus has blessed you in your life. Look at the roof you have over your head, the food in your stomach, the clothes on your back, and see the provision of God in your life. Look at the way Jesus has been there to comfort you in the times of tragedy, the ways he's led you into the ways that you have uh, been blessed by God. See the glory of God in your life. In hindsight, look back and see God at work. Let him bless you. Let him bless you. With unveiled faces, we contemplate the goodness of God, his grace, his care, his provision. And as we do that, we are changed and transformed into his ever-increasing glory. Amen. You may open your eyes now. If somebody next to you has their eyes closed, nudge them. (laughs) And if they don't open, we do have a you know, electric paramedic thing, we can help them. (laughs) Sorry. So in hindsight, we look back and we see the glory of God in our past. But you know what? It's not just about that. As we we look in with insight, we want to reflect on the glory of Jesus daily. Notice what it says here, chapter 4, verse 4. Joanna read it earlier. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Think about that. You see Jesus, you see God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness made his light shine in our hearts to give to us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. So this glory, this light we see in Jesus shines in our lights, in our hearts, and that light drives out the darkness in our lives. But it says the God of this age blinds the minds of people. And I want to make a confession to you because we live in a world that is blinding us to the glory of Jesus, Right? It is blocking out the the glory of Jesus in so many ways. And and, and I've always been a bit of a news junkie, you know? 
get up in the morning, first thing I do is watch, watch the news. Watch the, you know, the 60 Minutes on Channel 2 or whatever, Channel CBS, and, uh, or 60 Seconds of News. I watch, uh, and at nighttime, I always will try to watch or listen to the podcast of the evening news. And, and I'm a bit of a news junkie. I think it, it I kind of got into my skin when I was a kid, my dad was a, a reader. He'd read the Post-Gazette in the morning, the press in the evening. We'd have the evening news on every night. Back then, during the Vietnam years, we would see the war through our eyes firsthand. It wasn't anesthetized as it is today. We don't see the people dying today by the bombs and the guns that are put out. The news blocks us from that. But back then, Dan Rather was right there on the front lines, and we were seeing people getting shot and bleeding and carried away. That's why there was so much protest against the war, because people saw the hell of war firsthand on the evening news. And, and that's addicting in a sense. You get to see that. You know, the, you know the, the line, if it bleeds, it leads. And so news is all about all the good things that happen in the world, right? News is all about all the garbage that happens in the world. And now that we have a 24-7 news cycle with news channels, that's all they show, is you can get more garbage pumped into your mind and into your heart 24 hours a day if you're a news junkie. And now that everybody's their own reporter with an iPhone, any stupid thing that's done on the world can get blasted on the web and put on Facebook or put on... And so, and so we live in an age today where the glory of God is overshadowed by the garbage of this world. And it blinds us from that. And so what do we do about that? I think that it is our responsibility to realize that for every one person that grabs a gun and shoots innocent people, there are billions of people every day who wake up and never do that. But they're not getting on the news. It's the one person who's doing that. The world is not as evil as the news would let us believe. Not to say that it isn't evil, but it's not as bad as we see in our 24-7 news cycle. So for me, as a news junkie, I need to filter that. I need to see it now through different eyes. And in fact, and I wake up in the morning, I need to put on worship music as I'm getting ready in the morning, as I drive to work in the morning. I need to fill my mind with things that are going to Give me a sense of the goodness of God and the presence of God and the glory of God. And what I need to do is then carry that with me through my day. When we come on Sundays, as you are here, and I applaud you for doing this, you do this because once a week you come corporately with other people and we do this discipline of worship and singing, of listening to God's word, to being edified and built up. What it does is it helps us to contemplate the goodness and the glory of God so that we can go out on Monday into the neighborhoods and into the workplace and in our marriages and in our families and be more Christ-like. So, so this idea of the glory of God, the blind, and not just the news, I tell you what, social media, television, work, school, sports, whatever high that you need to get next will blind you to the glory of God. And, and what we need to do is reflect on the glory of God and not on all the things that the God of this age wants to, to shield us from the glory of God. Right? I mean... I love looking at the moon, especially when there's a full moon, especially when it's a clear sky. And uh, I happened to be out in Missouri when we had this last eclipse. You guys missed it because you were here probably. You didn't get to see it. It was, it was, it was glorious. 
big sky, this moon in the sky. But you know what? The moon has no glory of its own, right? The moon does not put forth any light of its own. What you see when you look at the moon is the reflection of the sun. It's the light of the sun that's on the moon that we see. And so whenever the earth passes in front of that, the shadow goes over the moon and you have an eclipse and the light of the moon goes away because it is shielded by the earth. And in our lives, we have no glory of our own. We just reflect the glory of Jesus. And when the God of this age gives us all this stuff to blind us from Jesus, we cannot reflect that glory as well. So what we need to do is take away the stuff of this world and let us look into Jesus. Meditate like we did earlier on the goodness of the past that Jesus has done in your life, what Jesus has done historically. But daily, think about the goodness of God and meditate. And then now, you go into work and like Moses, you're radiant with the goodness of God and the light of God in your life shines in places. What if everybody who believed God would take the light of God into the darkness and would cast out the darkness as we reflect Jesus to others? And as we do that, we change the world. In fact, the Bible says, Jesus said that your eyes are a window to your soul. He said, the, the eye is the lamp to the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So we today in, the current, in our current uh, present tense life need to, with insight, reflect on God's goodness and God's glory. And then it fills us with God's light and we reflect that to the world. So in hindsight, we look back. In the present, we looked into Christ today. And I just want to touch real briefly because we're going to go into this next week. In foresight, we need to anticipate the future glory. In this life, when things are bad, as though the world is broken, as we see in the news, we have to realize that this is not the end of the story. A day will come where there is no more war, where there is no more shooting, where there is no more violence, where there is no more sin, where there is no more shame. And we imagine and we invest in this idea that we are now to live in light of that future and live as if that future is coming upon us. So we live now that way and we anticipate a day when all of this place would be made right again. We anticipate the future glory. Now, he says, our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them all and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Paul in Romans said it this way, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And we can be confident of that glory because that spirit of truth, he said in verse 13, we also believe and we speak because we know that the one who raised Christ from the dead is gonna raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that's reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. So Paul was confident of this future glory because he experienced the resurrected Jesus when he was on that road to Damascus. And when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you experience new life. That's the resurrected Jesus in you. And when your eyes are open to that new life that you have, 
you now live in a different way, confident that someday, no more pain, no more suffering, it's all gone, it's in the past. So Paul then could live his life knowing that no matter how bad things get now, it's not the end of the story. Because he knew that one day in heaven would erase all the days of pain in this life. So I just want to wrap it up by saying, what are you reflecting to others around you? And how can you experience the glory of God that it might open your eyes to things that you could never see before? Let's do that. Let's do that. I, I, I want to pray in just a moment and, and, and I want to pray that we would just see Jesus with clearer eyes, that we see his good works and we would glorify God, the Bible says. Jesus said, uh, to remove the veil from our eyes, he said, come and taste and see that the Lord is good. So I want you today to bring your troubles, bring your cares, bring your concerns to God and lay them down, lay them down. And let God open your eyes to the goodness and the glory of God and let it transform your lives. Put on those new lenses and see the goodness of God. Take off the blinders that the world puts on your eyes and let it transform you. Let's bow our heads together. I'm going to ask the worship band to come back up here. Lord, I confess that sometimes I allow these blinders to blind me to your glory and I don't reflect and contemplate on your glory enough. And I get down, I get discouraged. I, I, I feel like the world is hopeless and helpless and therefore I feel hopeless and helpless and I'm no help to others when I'm that way. So God, help me and help us to, to see your glory with unveiled faces and see you full of grace and truth. God, I pray for people here today that are just overwhelmed with troubles and cares that they might come today and say, Jesus, I want to lay them down. I want to forget them. They'll be there, I know, but I want to see them through your eyes. Help me, Jesus. Show me your glory, God. Shine in my life. Maybe you're here today and you've never asked Christ in your heart. And, and today you need to say, Jesus, I want what pastor's talking about. I need what pastor's talking about. I, I realize that my life is just overwhelmed by the ugliness. And I need Jesus in my life to forgive me and cleanse me and make me whole. And I need Jesus to come into my life. Maybe for you, you just need to pray that kind of a prayer. Say, Jesus, come into my heart and my life. I need you, Jesus. You can do that right now, right where you are. Show us your glory, Jesus. Fill this place with your presence. Fill our hearts with your presence. If you're here this morning and you sense the Spirit of God speaking to your heart, whether to give your life to Jesus or to lay your troubles down or to re-up your commitment to, to seeing the glory of God, would you just raise your hand up and say, God, that's me, I confess wherever you are, just raise your hand up. Say, God, I need you in my life. Jesus, I want to follow you. I need to see your glory.
Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.